How does an old hippie stoner or a young hippie stoner whose life is so messed up she gets escorted out of town and told to leave? How does that person, that woman, become a mentor to not just a few people, but many people? You're listening to Frau Amy's World, episode number 14. This podcast presents conversation with and for real-life creatives on how we find and keep walking our unique paths. I'm your host, Amy Hallberg. Welcome to my world. Today I'm talking with my good friend Liz Oles, and we're going to do this a little bit differently. So Liz was facing heart surgery in December, and she and I sat down. I asked her to read one of her favorite stories, and then we talked about how that story came into being. I haven't aired this episode until now because I was waiting to make sure that Liz survived and that she recovered, and I'm happy to report that she has. But Liz was one of the very first writers I met when I started taking writing classes, and she's a mentor to me personally. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation, and we're going to start with Liz reading her story, Book Fuckers. Moscow, Idaho. I always came back to Moscow, but each time I came back, the ice I was living on got thinner. My friends used to find me interesting, my guitar playing wonderful, my adventures fun to hear about. In these latter days, they were getting tired of me, the unexpected comings and goings, the slurred speech and the inappropriate jokes that fell flat, the fits of anger when I would throw a beer bottle or tip a table over just prior to being asked to leave the bar. Oh, I was Jack Kerouac, all right, including the dark side. Little did I know that my hero died a drunk at 47. The hitchhiking trip to Michigan had been fun, but my problems were waiting for me when I returned. The only job I could get was a pity job. Some friends of mine who owned the bookstore hired me to clean the bathrooms and vacuum the floors. A simple job, easy, and they paid me better than I could have reasonably expected. I should have been grateful. I was not grateful. I felt demeaned. I believed I was too good to clean people's toilets as I would whine drunkenly at the Varsity Cafe bar. What I really wanted was to be a clerk at the store. My mother was a librarian. I had experience with books, and I liked to read. I would be perfect, with the little caveat that I was completely unreliable. When a position came open, I applied for it. I wanted that job. I wanted it bad. They gave me a courtesy interview. They never had any intention of hiring me. I didn't get the job. I was pissed off. I went down to the varsity bar and stopped at every table, telling whoever would listen that I had been screwed. Each table bought me a shot of Southern Comfort. There were eight tables in the tiny lounge, and I got a shot from everyone. I was plastered, vibrating with drink. So drunk I didn't feel drunk anymore, just fuming. I decided to go home and write a letter telling them exactly what I thought about them. I couldn't hold a pencil. I found some butcher paper and a big red magic marker. The name of the store was Book People. I started the letter, Dear Book Fuckers. I wrote in huge letters, The karma in this bookstore is so bad I'm surprised the roof hasn't caved in, and so on. 
I took it down to the store and instead of putting it through the mail slot, I taped it to the window with the print size facing the street, just so everyone would know. I received a call from Libby, the head book person, that morning. She invited me to have breakfast with her and some of the others who worked there. Good, I thought to myself. They have come to their senses and will offer me the job at breakfast. They did have things to say to me, but would you come work for book people was not one of them. We're running a bookstore, not a halfway house for troubled adolescents, one said. That stung. I was 22, not an adolescent. Everyone knows you're unreliable, said another. You'll never get another job in this town. You're dying here. This from Libby. There's nothing for you in Moscow anymore. You can't even get a job playing music. This was true. There were a limited number of bars in Moscow, and I had drunk my way out of every one. You need to get your shit together, and frankly, you need to get it together somewhere else. I don't know who said that. What I suddenly realized was these people, maybe not my best friends, but my friends nonetheless, were kicking me out of town. I remember once I broke my finger playing softball. I didn't feel the pain, not at first. I just heard a loud buzzing in my ears. This felt the same. My head was buzzing. I didn't feel the pain at first, not for a long time. I didn't have to leave. No one would force me into my VW and tow me to the state line. Maybe things weren't quite as dire as the book people suggested. Maybe if I just got a handle on this drinking thing. For I knew something about this incident that had never occurred to me before. I had done the deed while I was drunk, and in my right mind, I never would have written that letter. And so all the things they said to me, one of them was not, we're so surprised that you acted this way. What can we do to help? They had already tried to help me, and once again my answer had been, paraphrased slightly, fuck you. I didn't leave because they told me to. I left because the cracking thin ice I had been living on had finally broken through. Underneath that ice was alcohol, and I was drowning in it. When people ask me at this point why I moved to Minneapolis, I always joke that I chose the Twin Cities because of the Mary Tyler Moore show. You'd been the listeners seemed so nice. The real reason I moved here was that many of the sober women at the Michigan Festival were from Minneapolis. I wasn't entirely sure I wanted to keep drinking, but I was thinking the party might be over. Would this town be the answer, or was I just doing another geographical cure? I packed my things into my VW and headed out of town with my tail between my legs. And as promised, here's our conversation about how Liz got from that place to where she is today. You may be an old hippie stoner, but when I met you, you were well into your recovery. Yes, I believe at that time I had maybe 25, 30 years of sobriety when I met you. So it's been a long time. It's been a long journey, I think. Uh, uh, Learning how to live without the chemical stimulus and learning how to um, face life on life's terms I have uh, I've worked hard at it and you were pretty you were pretty solidly I mean you were a big presence in that class I remember it was the first writing class I took and you read this story called well it has no name but it was book fuckers right the book fuckers <laughs> which which you've recorded yeah that is probably one of my funnier stories and it's really how I made a decision to get sober was to act so stupid. So you lived a really rough life. 
I had a lot of difficult things happen, you know, and, and I uh, grew up in Maryland and I went to Idaho to get away from my parents. That's where the bookfucker story happens is when I lived in Idaho, supposedly going to college, although I wasn't really going to college. I was just telling my parents I was going to college <laughs> and living off the money that they sent me. Um, but I got pretty sick when I was in Idaho uh, with the alcoholism and I did stupid things, you know, I offended people and I would would uh, tip tables over in bars and throw beer bottles at people and the bookfucker story is basically that I wanted a job at a bookstore and the uh, people at the bookstore didn't hire me so I wrote them a note and the name of the bookstore was Book People and I started the note out, Dear Bookfuckers. <laughs> And, uh, that caught my attention. <laughs> that one gets a laugh whenever I tell it, I, even from people who've heard it before. But this isn't even your. I mean, so like when when that that's one story. But but you've had long long list of things that have not gone well in your life. It's really true that there's a part of my life that's been really difficult. Uh, I. Uh, had everything I uh, owned burned down in a house fire when I was 26, and that was very difficult. Uh, and uh, I have been living with bipolar disorder for a very long time, uh, most of my adult life, and that's been difficult. I've been in and out of hospitals during a certain period of my life. I was in and out of hospitals maybe 15 times in three or four years. and. Um, you know, and then another apartment burned and just things with people, you know. I had some sexual abuse in my background and some neglect from my parents in my background. And, you know, it's it's a lot of difficult stuff. But I do have to say it can... If you look at it a certain way and get past it all, you can turn it into a learning experience. It doesn't have to make you bitter and angry all the rest of your life. Well, and I think by the time I met you, because I was just starting writing, whereas you'd been writing a while, you'd mm -hmm. been you'd been on your creative journey for quite a while by the time we met. We met in 2010. Yeah, that's... Yeah, and you were kind of a mentor at that point. You were almost like... Um, I looked at you as a mentor, you welcomed me into that world and kind of, not exactly a teacher, but definitely teaching by the example of, of your writing, because you, you'd written a lot of your memoir by then, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was in the final stages, which it still is in the final stages eight <laughs> years later, but um, I have had uh, experience teaching, specific teaching, like I taught folk music in schools and libraries for years and and I've taught some spiritual writing groups now and so on uh, but also well the main place I learned about mentoring was uh, by helping people get sober and in their sobriety I worked in the field for a while and then I have my places that I go to get support and um, I learned a lot then because you know Sometimes people make it and sometimes they don't in sobriety and you can't take it on and think that you either have the power to make somebody stay sober or that you have the power that you cause them not to. So it's a very much a learning experience about teaching that it's better to just lead by example than it is to tell people what to do. And what does that mean to you that you're in, I mean, because as you said, you may not 
succeed if success means getting somebody sober. You may or may not succeed by cultural appropriate terms, but what does it mean to you that you're interacting with these people, engaging with them in that way? Well, I think, you know, when I say lead by example, that sounds kind of like a cliche, but what I mean is to have your life be the thing that is your creative product, really. I mean, I mean, I, I play the banjo and I uh, write and I look kind of wild and crazy with my suspenders and my banjo tattoo and all the different ways that I look. But the cap that you the always cap that I have always on. Wear, well, it's because I'm going bald, but that's a whole other story. The T-shirt, the message T-shirts. Message T-shirts. Uh, I, you know, and I really believe that the way. You present yourself, the way you live your life, is much more of an example of teaching than just sitting there talking to people and telling them what to do and how to do it. And I can do that too. I'm capable of it, and I do do it sometimes when I'm not thinking straight. But um, what is true for me is like what I say to people. You know, they know my life story. A lot of people know my life story, and. But then I say to them, well, I'm grateful. And they're like, you're grateful? You've had a horrible life. And I say, yeah, but number one, now things are going pretty good. And I have a roof over my head and food on the table and, and stuff like that. And I'm always grateful for that because I've been homeless a couple of times in my life, too, for six or eight weeks. And just long enough to know that that's not what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, just constantly say that and feel it, the gratitude thing. Mm. Um, that's a better example to share that with somebody than to say, well, you really ought to feel grateful. Or, you know, it's like... How can I expect somebody else to do something if I'm not doing it myself? Well, and I've been to your house. I mean, you have a whole room dedicated to just, like there's a banjo wall. Right, my banjo wall. There's the pictures and... There's the Civil War <laughs> sh shelf, right? There's a whole area just dedicated to sound mixing because you've done radio and, mm -hmm. and all this work with your banjos and the songwriting and all that. I mean, you've crafted this life around who you really, truly are. Well, that's, that's really nice to hear, actually. I, I try, you know, and sometimes I fail, but that's part of life, is you don't yeah. always do yeah. everything you want to do, but um, if you can hit the mark, you know, in Judaism, I'm Jewish, and in Judaism, the um, word for sin actually means missing the mark. Hmm. So, you know, when you think of shooting an arrow and you don't quite make the mark, you missed the mark, but you're, it's still, you've tried, you've tried, and, and sometimes I miss the mark, you know, and if you can hit the mark, in baseball, 30% of the time, you're a superstar. <laughs> you, so, you know, right now, you're facing a pretty big, um, a, a pretty big journey in that you're about to have heart surgery. Right, it's a heart valve replacement, which means open heart surgery, they have to cut me open. And I'm, you know, I'm reasonably scared of it. Of course. You know, I'm pretty, well, middle of the night I wake up, I get terrified, you know. But I also, it goes back to that gratitude thing. When I look at my life and say, this life is pretty good, I am enjoying it. And, and then I look and I face my own mortality 
and it actually makes me happier. I know that seems weird, but when I look at it and think, well, someday it's going to be over, for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe not this, you know, probably not this time, but someday. And so I have to choose, well, what am I going to do? You know, I'm 61 years old, and that's not real old in this society, but it's old enough. And what am I going to do with this time I have left? What What's important to me? It's about making choices, you know. I mean, I never thought when I was 35 years old that I would have a limited amount of time and that I would have to make choices. But now I'm like, oh, you need to pick. You need to pay attention to what you're doing. You can't just float through your life anymore. Or you'll be very disappointed when you pass away. You know, this way, if you're intentional and mindful about it, then you will do what you want to do. You will make good things. <laughs> and you'll do what you're brought here to do. Yes, exactly. Mm. So it's been really lovely to talk with you, and I'm so grateful to you for being here. And, of course, you and I have some great conversations oh, that yes, we have we not do. recorded. We, yes, we do. We've, we've talked a lot about... Um, what it means to be a creative and to live in in alignment with ourselves and so I I hope we'll have many more conversations I hope so too but um, back on my podcast but um, for now what one thing would you want to leave people with if if you were if you were giving advice I really think I would recommend that people work on being grateful Mm. the the more I can be grateful, the more I spend in the day being grateful as opposed to, you know, I believe that you you live out of something and you can live out of anger or you can live out of happiness or you can live out of pain or whatever, but there's some overriding thing. And for me, gratitude does that because it just, how can you, you can't feel bad if you're feeling grateful. And everybody has something to be grateful for because he woke up this morning. (laughs) And what do you want people to know about you, Liz (laughs) Olds? I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a beautiful place to end. Yes, I think so too. Oh, thank you, Liz. Oh, thank you, Amy. This has really been fun. I love you, Liz. Love you too. Thanks for visiting Frau Amy's World. Today's episode featured Liz Olds. If you enjoyed listening to our conversation, please check out the links in my show notes. You can subscribe to this podcast, share it with a friend, leave a comment so people can find us, and I welcome donations to help me continue this work. You'll find a PayPal link and my brand new Patreon. Please and thank you for your support of all kinds. You can learn more about me at CourageousWordsmith.com. I'm Amy Hallberg, and until we meet again, travel safely.